We're in Joshua 3 today. I'd like to read the whole chapter to you. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles, Joshua 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Israel had been staying close to the Promised Land in Shittim for some time before this. They had been this close one other time in their history. But at that time, they weren't ready to make the decision to enter the promised land. This time they were. So they edged right up to the border and camped just across the river. There seems to be something similar in the way people enter the promised life. If you ask, they'll often tell you that they were close to entering the life once before. They were going to church They heard all about trusting Jesus, about his death and resurrection, and as far as that went, they accepted it. But they never quite crossed the line. They didn't commit. They didn't enter into the life of being Jesus' person. But it's hard to hang out there on the edge. So after a while, they dropped out of church. Maybe there's a conflict. Maybe they just got bored. But whatever the case, 
They moved on. But now they've come back, and they're poised once again to enter the promised life. Now, let me ask you about you. Have you been camped out on the border of the promised life for a while? Have you been checking it out, spying out the land, so to speak, trying to decide whether or not you want to spend the rest of your life as a Jesus follower? Are you ready to cross into that life? Look at verse 2. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. The Ark of the Covenant, yeah, the Steven Spielberg movie, this is it. The Ark of the Covenant, or sometimes it was called the Ark of the Testament, was a gold-covered box that contained the Ten Commandments, manna, from the time in the wilderness, and the staff of Aaron, the ark was kept in the Holy of Holies, at first in the tabernacle and later in the temple. On top of the ark was the so-called mercy seat, the place that the blood from the sacrifice of atonement was poured. The ark was the visible symbol of the presence of God and the place from which he made himself known. When the officers ordered the people to follow the ark, the people understood that they were being commanded to follow God, his lead, and his instructions. Only by doing so would they have any hope of entering the promised land. Now, it is every bit as important to follow God's lead and God's word when it comes to entering the promised life. The only way in is God's way. If you try to do it on your own, You'll never get in. The officers told the Israelites to follow the ark. That is to follow God's lead. Otherwise, they wouldn't know the way. Verse 4, then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a 1,000 yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. In verse 5, Joshua addresses the people directly for the first time. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, by saying consecrate yourself, he was telling them to separate themselves from what the Israelites would have called unclean things as a way of preparing for an encounter with God. Likewise, when people enter the promised life, they find they must separate themselves from certain things as well, from pride, from sin, from destructive relationships, whatever's keeping them from getting close to God. Now, there is an aspect of preparation to the spiritual life that doesn't get much attention. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing it everywhere. We prepare to go out on a date or to interview for a job or to speak in public. Hadn't we ought also to prepare for an encounter with God? And this isn't just true of people who are getting ready to begin the spiritual life. It's true for those who are already living it. Shouldn't we come to church prepared to worship? The idea that all this is natural, it doesn't take any preparation, just makes the spiritual life so much harder. Look at verse 6 now. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. By the way, it's called the Ark of the Covenant, if I didn't make this clear before, because the Ten Commandments are in it. 
the, the stipulations of covenant between God and his people are contained in the ark. And, and that's why also it's called the Ark of the Testament. So the priest took up the ark and went ahead of them. Until this point, no one knew how they were going to cross the Jordan River. Crossing the river at flood stage with all their belongings, with their children, with their little infants, without a natural ford or a man-made bridge, must have seemed to them totally impossible. They were left with this enigma. This is what God says we will do. We can see no possible way of doing it. Sometimes in your life, as God's person, you will find yourself in a similar situation. And there's nothing to do but await further instructions, knowing that they're forthcoming. We don't have to panic. If God says we will do it, we'll do it. He'll show us the way. This happens when you first begin the Christian life. You know, you absolutely know, God has called you to cross the border, become a citizen of his kingdom and follow his son. But you don't know how to do that. Once we choose his will, he'll show us the way. Or you're a believer. You're in an unhappy marriage, and God says, stay together for better or for worse. But we don't see how to stay together. Once we choose his will, he'll show us the way. God says, I want you to do this service for me. And we say, I have never been able to talk in front of people. I'd almost rather stand in front of a firing squad than an audience. Once we choose his will, he'll show us the way. God says, I want you to break this habit. We say, I've tried. I've tried a hundred times. I can't do it. It's not that I don't want to. It's that I can't. Don't argue with God. Get ready. Once we choose his will, he'll show us the way. But even when God has made a way, obeying him will still take courage. Courage that's produced by faith. Don't think that obedience will suddenly become easy once God shows us the way. Your willingness is preparatory too, but it's never a substitute for action. You will still have to fight, still have to trust, still have to stand true and endure. God made it absolutely clear to Israel that they could not enter the promised land except through his agency. And he's made it absolutely clear to us that we can't enter the promised life except through his agency. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And do you remember what else he said? No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him, unless the Father draws him. If you try to enter the promised life on your own strength, you know what I mean by that? Over the years, I've heard many people say, I try my best to be a Christian. They're trying to enter the promised life on their own, or having entered, they're trying to live the promised life on their own, and they'll fail. You can't enter the promised life by your own effort. And the good news is, the gospel is you don't have to. God has made a way, and the way into that life 
that is truly life is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way to live the life that is truly life is through his son, the Lord Jesus. As the way for Israel to enter the promised land was through Joshua, the way for us to enter into the promised life is through Jesus. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. By making a way for Israel to enter the promised land, God exalted Joshua in the eyes of all Israel. Now listen, by making a way for us to enter the promised life, God has exalted Jesus in the eyes of all the world. Did you know that Jesus and Joshua are the same name? One's Hebrew, Yahshua. The other is Aramaic, Yeshua. But there are two ways of pronouncing the very same name. Both mean Yahweh, the Lord, saves. You could take this verse and you could apply it to the greater Joshua, to Jesus. And the Lord said to Yeshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all the world. Jesus is quintessentially the exalted one. So St. Paul says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Peter says, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince or as chief leader and savior. And the first step in that exaltation was a surprising one. He was lifted up on a cross. Now look at verse 8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Okay, so get the picture. The priests take the Ark of the Covenant. They carry it into the Jordan and stand there while the people cross the river. But look down at verse 15 for more detail. When Israel stood across the Jordan from the Promised Land, They could see it, most of them, for the very first time in their lives. The Jordan was at flood stage. How easy it would have been for the people to think, maybe we should give this a month or two. Then we'll start our new life on the other side. But right now, I mean, it's not a good time. There are a lot of things going on. Conditions just aren't right. We'll do it. We'll cross into our new life. Just not yet. But this was the time God was present His call was clear. In just moments, the priest would step into the cold, swirling waters of the Jordan. It was now, or perhaps it was never. It's similarly easy for people who've not yet entered the spiritual life to say, there are a lot of things going on right now. Maybe we should just wait for things to settle down, wait for a better time. And we'll do it. We'll cross into our new life. Just not yet. But there is no better time than now. There are other times and more difficult times, but no better times. That's why the apostle says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. If you've not yet decided to enter the Christian life through faith in Jesus Christ, you need to know it will not get easier Today's your day. Maybe you're afraid to enter this life because once you've done so, you're committed. What if you fail? What if you try it and you find you can't change? What if those old sins cling to you like burrs on a dog's back? 
You don't want to start and then fail. I think Israel must have had the same feelings. What if we're not strong enough to take the land once we get over there? What if we don't fit in? What if we fail? But look at verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you all of your adversaries, the Canaanites and all those others. He will certainly drive out before you the foreign powers in the land. Now understand that what God promised to do for Israel in the promised land, he will do for you in the promised life. It's not like you're on your own once you've become a Christian. You not only start with God, you proceed with God. The Christian life is a with God life for now and for eternity. The one who helps you enter it will help you live it. If you know Old Testament history, you know that even though God promised to drive out all foreign powers, that promise was never completely kept. So did God fail? Was he incapable of doing what he intended and promised to do? He was more than capable. But what he intended and promised to do was to drive out those foreign powers through the efforts of his people. They had work to do too. Work they never fully performed. We'll look at that as we go on in Joshua and when we get to Judges especially. God has promised to drive all the foreign powers from a Christian's life. It's not all up to you. That's why Paul wrote, The very God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then... The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. He will do it, but not without us. Jesus, in John chapter 15, verse 4, made it clear that apart from him, we can do nothing. But as someone has pointed out, if we do nothing, it will certainly be apart from him. If you do nothing, you won't be doing it with Jesus. Now look at verse 13. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream, will be cut off and stand up in a heap. As soon as they set foot in the Jordan, a miracle would occur. The moment they obeyed God, he would act. It works that way for us too. The moment we obey God's call to follow his son, or to restore a relationship, or stop a habit, or renounce our pride, God will act. Look at how it played out for them when they crossed into the promised land. Verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is a flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark, as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is, that's the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The moment the priests walk into the swollen river, it stopped flowing, just as God said it would. His action happened simultaneously to their obedience. But did you notice where the water upstream stopped flowing? at Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. That's 16 miles upstream. 
If that's the case, then the people had to wait a while before they saw the outcome, even though they had obeyed God's instructions to the letter. And even though God had already acted, time still had to pass before they could see that it was so. That's sometimes how it works in our lives, too. We obey God, but nothing seems to happen. God says, stay in this marriage. So we stay, assuming that he will make everything better. And nothing changes. Maybe the situation seems to grow worse. Or we know that God's been calling us to change some habit, perhaps a way of relating to other people, perhaps an addiction. And we finally submit to his will. We say, okay, God, with your help, I will change this. But instead of the habit growing weaker, it seems to grow stronger. When we try to step away from it, it screams at us. We can't ignore it. We don't know how to handle it. When is God going to act? What is he waiting for? He may not be waiting at all. He may have acted already. But you may have to wait to see the outcome. And here is where the real battle, the key battle, is waged. Do you get the idea that everything would be done for you? That you'd be carried to the skies, as Isaac Watts put it, on flowery beds of ease? It is not so. You still have to fight. God gave the promised land outright and on oath to Israel. But Israel still had to fight to take it. God's given you the promised life outright and on oath, but you still have to fight to take it. But here's the thing. The fight is never primarily, or I should say never directly, against some enemy. That's always and only secondary. The real battle for us is won or lost. Keep this in mind. In the hand-to-hand combat, or I should say the heart-to-heart combat of trusting God, always, faith is the mark of the people of God. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We think that the trials and battles we face are tests of our strength, our wisdom, our spirituality, No, they are a test of our faith. Will we trust God? James does not say that trials test our wits or our resolve or our Bible knowledge and so somehow produce perseverance that leads to maturity and fulfillment. It is the testing of faith that does that. It's by faith that the foreign powers in our lives are routed. Our chief battle is never to defeat sin in ourselves, still less in someone else but to trust God through his son, who is the pioneer, the trailblazer of the faith, and as Martin Luther put it, he must win the battle. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you if you're ready to enter the life that God has for you. I know some, many of you, most of you have already done that, but some of you may not have. Entered the life, the life of a citizen of the kingdom and a follower of Jesus for the rest of your life. If you've been putting it off, put it off no longer. Maybe you're worried about what people will think. Let me tell you a secret. You'll be worried next week and next year too. Unless you do something about it now. Today is the day. Now is the day of salvation. 
And before I ask you to make that choice, I want to point out something that I just skipped over back in verse 4. It's that last phrase in the verse. When speaking of the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of God's presence, the officers ordered people, don't go near it. Don't go near it. That is not an isolated incident. The Old Testament is filled with warnings not to go near God. Though God is present everywhere and it's impossible to avoid him, he manifests his presence. He makes himself known in special ways at special times. It's as if he concentrates his presence in a particular place at a particular time. Or like he pulls back an invisible curtain so that we suddenly become aware of him. He did that on Mount Sinai. And remember what he instructed Moses? Warn the people not to go up on the mountain. No matter what, don't go up on that mountain. The Ark of the Covenant that the priests carry in Joshua 3 was the chief place in the Old Testament that God made himself known. The Ark was for generations on end concealed in the Holy of Holies where no one ever went except the high priest and even he only went once a year. But before the temple was completed, the Ark occasionally had to be transported from place to place whenever the tabernacle was moved. The tabernacle was portable, and when it was moved, it was necessary to to transport the Ark of the Covenant with it. When that happened, there were highly specific instructions for how to do it. Only Levites were permitted to move it, and even they mustn't touch it. They slid specially made poles through rings that had been fastened to the side of the Ark when it was made, At no time were they ever to come into direct contact with it under any circumstances. In fact, you can read a story in 1 Samuel about a man who ignored those instructions. He might have been a righteous man, and he died on the spot. Israel got the message, God is good, but he is not safe. When he chooses to make himself known, the power of his presence is overwhelming. Stay a thousand yards away from the ark, the people were told. And they didn't have to be told twice. God is holy, you are not, and the two don't mix. That makes me think of what some scientists believe about the composition of the universe. They theorize that some of our universe is composed of matter, and some of it of antimatter. Our neighborhood, the Milky Way galaxy, And the subdivisions down the block, Andromeda, Sagittarius, the Horsehead Nebula, made of matter. Some remote galaxies, so some of these scientists think, are made of antimatter. And if the two ever come into contact, they claim instant annihilation will occur. That's how people in the Old Testament times felt about God. If his holiness and our sinfulness ever come into contact, boom. That is the end of us. But when you come to the New Testament, you hear something different. People are saying different kinds of things. John the Baptist bursts on the scene crying, the kingdom of God is at hand. I can imagine people thinking, is that good news or is it bad news? Instead of telling people to stay away from God, St. James tells people to draw near to God. Come close to God, he says, and he will come close to you. The author of Hebrews writes, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Now, there were, of course, hints in the Old Testament and promises 
But something changed in the New Testament, and that something was the coming of Jesus, and especially his extraordinary and sacrificial death. I said there were hints and promises in the Old Testament. Here was one from Psalm 85.10. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. God's profound love for sinners and his faithfulness to the covenant meet at the cross of Christ. It was there that his righteousness and our peace kissed each other. So St. Paul can say, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. It took the Ark of the Covenant to bring people into the promised land, but it takes the blood of Christ, that is his sacrificial death on our behalf, to bring people into the promised life. Crossing into the promised life, like crossing into the promised land, is a miracle. It can only happen because God makes it happen. He's the bridge into the promised life. And he calls us to trust in his son Jesus. That is to entrust our lives to him for now and forever. And step into the promised life. Today is the day. Now is the time. Are you ready to cross? Let's bow our heads. I wanted us to bow our heads to give people privacy. If you have not yet entered this life, but God has been speaking to you, and you've been checking it out for a while, and you're ready now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Would you do that? Okay. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you before God right now to choose to cross into this life, to tell him yes. You've been telling him, wait. Now I'm going to ask you to tell him yes. The way in is through faith in his son, Jesus. You entrust yourself to him. Not just things about him. You entrust yourself to him. Would you do that right now? You can... Tell him something like this in your own heart and with your own words. Lord, everything that's keeping me away from you, now it doesn't matter. Whatever it takes, I want to be yours. And right now, I choose to be yours. I believe on your son, Jesus, who died for me and rose again. And I give myself to you. My life is yours. Now, if you've prayed that prayer, when we're done, I'm going to ask you to come up here and meet with our prayer helpers. They'll be here for everybody. But if you've prayed that prayer and you've done that this morning, then come and talk with them so they can pray for you. Now, let's pray together again. God, thank you for working in our midst. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the trailblazer of the faith, the one whose life and death and resurrection has made a way. Thank you for him. Amen. Now let's sing.